This is the Responsible Note Investing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Putz, owner of JKP Holdings. After we received multiple requests to convert our live webinars into audio format, we decided to set up a podcast. Our focus on each webinar was to be content-driven, partner with the guests with the most knowledge and experience in their field. We do our best to try and ask the questions you would ask. Our live webinars cover topics ranging from bookkeeping to avoiding mistakes to legal and so on. Be sure to follow us on YouTube at JKP Holdings LLC, our Facebook page, JKP Holdings, our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing, and our LinkedIn page, JKP Holdings LLC. And now it's time to dive in. All right. Welcome all. We're going to be talking about pitfalls, cost, and time of the note investing world. We do a little housekeeping as we always do. I'm going to um, just share some stuff we got that I have going on. As everyone probably knows in the group, uh, we have an East Coast note investing group on Facebook that we post uh, different topics and whatnot on um, discussions. Uh, and I, I monitor it pretty closely to make sure nothing's on there that shouldn't be. Uh, second of all, we have a, uh, I have my Facebook uh, business page, which we post events. Uh, so feel free to log in and connect to that. Uh, next, we have a YouTube channel, which this recording will be posted on. Um, so if you want to catch it later, definitely take a look at this. It's also in the emails. And lastly, we, uh, we started putting out some assets. Uh, that we're uh, showing it to other people. Um, some of these are mine. Some are uh, friends of ours that are direct. There is no brokering here. This is just, I'll connect you right to them. Um, throughout the States, this is the scrub list. And this is a Google Doc. Um, so you'll, if you click on the, um, once you get the NDA signed and sent back to us, there is a button through the tools um, that you actually can do notification and when any changes are made um, and you get a digest daily, um, not right away, try doing daily. So whenever you see a change in the asset status or assets are added or taken away, you'd be notified. So just some assets with strike prices, which is uh, purchase price. So a little housekeeping before we get started here. So what are we talking about tonight? What I found in the industry is a lot of people are getting into this space um, with either a misnomer or some concerns of this, this space is awesome. Um, it is fun. It's exciting. There are some good returns, um, but there are some pitfalls that you should be aware of. Uh, tonight, I got some People on here that's been in the space for um, as long as I have, sometimes longer. Um, some people that have done more, less deals. Um, I have attorney on board here. We have a service on board, really to answer a lot of the questions that go on. So the first thing I want to get into um, is pitfalls. Everyone sees how someone bought a note. What we find often um, is people are buying these notes and getting excited about people buying notes but everyone in this room has bought a note and bought it wrong. 
Um, and that's the pitfall. Buying a note is not the challenge here. Is buying a note that's worthwhile the challenge. So um, it, it's going to be difficult. Let me just uh, take this person off one second. Um, it's going to be difficult and challenging to um, to really grasp everything tonight. And I'm going to do my best to kind of cover everything in a general sense. With that said, the first thing I want to talk about is you bought a ton of notes. What do you do? Do they buy correctly? We all have horror stories. I like for Bill and Karen to kind of give me in the shortest phrase, what has been a horror story you've seen in buying a note? What kind of horror story? I'll, I'll start with Karen. What has been a horror story note that you bought that you wish you never did? Uh, I'd say when I bought a pool of them, there was, I mean, the biggest one that I wish I never did was when I bought a pool of them and it was the one house I didn't do enough due diligence on, you know? And after I'd bought it, I checked on it. But that's one of those, it was like on the first pool I ever bought, you know? So the rest of them looked good. And what was what? the problem with the property that you didn't do enough due diligence on? Well, I like to have something that I'm not afraid to end up with later. This was one that was in an area that you could tell it clung close to flooding. And uh, I've just had all kinds of problems with it, you know? the. Okay. But that was the main one, you know, it was stuck on in a pool and that's the first one that comes to my mind. There's others, but. Bill, can you give me a horror story? Yeah, I mean, a horror story, uh, just so everybody's aware. Um, I fully invest in uh, distressed second mortgages. Um, that's my true skill. Um, that is my full-time um, investment strategy. And when you invest in distressed seconds, probably 80 to 90% of my exits are through the homeowner not the property. And since it's such a numbers game in the seconds, it's, it's real common to have a horror story. So it's not like I have one specific horror story because if you're playing in the second space hard enough, you're going to strike out. Uh, my numbers are basically one out of two will give me a payday and the other one becomes a bankruptcy, an REO, um, a situation that's not great. And with more experience, and more playing the game, you learn how to deal with those that don't pay you or file bankruptcy or you particularly end up. What's very difficult to figure out in the second space is when to say it's a bad deal and just stop with it. Um, it's an easy space to spend a lot of money with attorneys uh, within bankruptcy. And that's basically what I would say is more of a horror story is knowing when to say when with a deal and accepting the fact that the deal just didn't work out. Um, I call them shutdowns. Um, I'm very aggressive with legal in my space. And when you're aggressive with legal, sometimes you end up with a property and you don't really want that property and the numbers don't make sense or there's not much to do. And I'm always a firm believer in if I end up with a property and it's gonna cost me 10 or 15 grand to get situated and I don't really know what's gonna happen because there's a first mortgage on that property you're better off buying another second and just letting that go and taking it as a write-off. Gotcha. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Uh, Karen, can you give me a little background, your history of who you are? I forgot to do some intros. I apologize, guys. 
Um, how far back you want to go? <laughs> you, Gerald, what you, who are you and what you do? And Karen Peterson, uh, Katie Investors is my company. I, I do um, non-performing firsts. So, um, and I've done non-performing firsts for three or four years. I had rentals in Dallas before that for, I don't know, for probably the last 12 years. So, but notes exclusively for the last four. I mean, I still have my rentals. I'm selling, I'm, I'm getting rid of all those, but. Franco, can you give, explain who you are and what you do? Sure, uh, Franco Borelli, uh, part of Sotilli and Borelli uh, with my partner, Tony. Um, he's also um, within the share group tonight to answer any BK questions. Uh, but we're a law firm. We, uh, we do a lot of default work, default legal work, and uh, we're in and out of courts a lot, especially on the foreclosure and forfeiture side. Um, and also do quite a bit of collateral review. We're, we're in uh, Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, and Indiana. And um, uh, we do have more states on the bankruptcy side as well that Tony can speak uh, with as well. And Shante, who are you and what do you do? I'm Shante Duffy and I am with Madison Management Services, your loan servicing company. Um, I'm the office manager there. I deal with all set up, um, loan boarding, loan and any odds and ends questions you guys may have, um, they usually come to me before. So that's me. Awesome. So we're talking about horror stories. Franco, I'm sure you have a ton as well. Can you pinpoint one that you dealt with that just you wish the person never brought you or never bought? You could bet. <laughs> well, there's, there's all, you know, I, I don't want to say they're weekly, but I mean, there, there's quite a bit of files, and sometimes it's not the fault of, um, the investor, it's not the fault of any type of title review or collateral review or pre-purchase. Uh, there are a lot of attorneys out there that, that are looking to sue. So um, you know, there's a specific seller out in um, uh, a specific county in Ohio, Hamilton County, that uh, there's a specific seller that, that sometimes gets involved in lawsuits, not for any fault of their own. It's just... Frank, we some reason I muted somehow. I apologize. Give me one second. Oh sure. There you go. You're back. I don't know how you got muted. Okay. So you're yeah. You, Hamilton County been a problematic issue. Yeah, it has been problematic only because you know there's there's certain attorneys in that area uh, that pinpoint certain sellers, and um, they're they're just looking for a fight. And we have a couple cases that there's really no merit to it. Um, you know, if you've got a. a a legal aid attorney, or if, if you just have a, just a, a standard attorney, you know, representing the borrower and, and trying to ruffle feathers. Um, there's a few counties in Ohio where that can work and they can kind of prolong the case. Um, we do the best we can with, you know, serving discovery and, and making sure that the case moves forward on our end. Uh, however, there are litigation scheduled dates that you can't avoid. So, you know, we try our hardest to get involved in the case very quickly and try to get the uh, attorney at least at a table saying, hey, look, you know, either give up the property or, or reinstate the, the loan. So um, trying to be as, as diligent as we can, but that's usually what we get. So it sounds to me as, as some people uh, get in this space, they look at the foreclosure time frame and say, I'm going to be out in eight months, 10 months, or in Texas, I'll be out in three months. Um, that's not always true, is it? No, I mean, if you're looking at a foreclosure, you know, Timelines are probably six to nine months, uh, sometimes a little over. If you get a, a litigious borrower, you know, you're, you're looking over a year. Uh, if you've got a land contract, that's a little different. You can go down the forfeiture route. Um, but even going through the forfeiture route, we've seen some problems. Um, 
Again, not, yeah. not by the investor, not by the seller, just you, you get an attorney involved and all of a sudden it slows down. So we want to hit on tonight, you know, and I think everyone in, on the webinar definitely understands this point. Uh, we're seeing a lot of joint venture partner people coming in the space and doing a lot of joint venture, say on emails, um, asking for capital um, to be a passive investor. Um, uh, I know Bill and I have talked about this a lot, uh, Karen as well. Um, you know, and I'll hit Franco you know, last to say it because he'll be the legal side of it. Um, but give me your impression of someone that's new in the space, JVing with people, maybe find the money through JV emails, getting that money and investing in a note. What are the pitfalls of raising money passively, investing in space passively with an investor, um, and promising things? Bill, can you share what your thoughts on that is? Absolutely. I personally don't do uh, joint ventures. Uh, I have two companies. Uh, I'm an asset manager. Um, I offer a service for investors um, that want me to manage their second mortgages. And uh, I also do it in my own portfolio. So I've stayed clear of joint ventures. Um, I don't really want to get into a relationship or a partnership with people. Uh, within my own portfolio, um, I do have some private money. Um, I do some collateral assignments. Uh, I do sell some partials to kind of refuel and keep things moving. Uh, but, you know, my recommendation is, and we just talked about this last week, Dave, is I see a lot of people out on social media uh, treating this business like it's the house business, like we buy houses, sharing all their stories out on Facebook. And, you know, Franco can talk on this. Um, if I want to talk about some horror stories, it, it's, it's actually deals that we did nothing wrong. And if you get pulled into litigation, I mean, litigation can go anywhere from 15 to 50K on one file and you did nothing wrong. So any ammunition that you can give an opposing attorney or a borrower, that's why you don't see me out on social media talking shop and exactly what I do. Um, just to put it in perspective for people, I've worked over 600 files in this space over the last 10 years. So I get it and I understand what goes on. But what scares me a lot is these new investors going around tooting their JV deals out on Facebook and social media. It's not even so much the partnership that's going to get them in trouble. You just got to be very careful. It takes one opposing attorney. Mm -hmm to come after you and, and it's only one or two crazy litigations that could crush you in this space. Good point, real good point. Karen, from your understanding about these emails and the social media, what's your impression of JV, people going out there raising capital and having a passive investor on a deal? Well, you know, I've heard people, I've heard from attorneys say that they, they've gone after people for what they've posted on there. And I'm the same as Bill of, I do post ones of showing here's what I'm bidding on, but I don't put all the details in there and I'm looking for a JV partner and it's more like just picture of a house. Here's what I'm bidding on today. Here's what I'm bidding on today. Um, but I'd say, you know, I, I'm about like Bill. I mean, I do have JV partners, but I don't have many and it's usually other people who are in the note space um, who see something I've got and then call me and they want in on it. Or, you know, I invest my own money and my, parents money and my husband's money and but the majority of it I don't so um, and it's not as easy as 
people like to think it is, you know, um, I've only had a couple that I've had to deal with and luckily they've been, you know, not demanding people, but, uh, you know, I told them way in the beginning, this isn't, you know, this isn't a simple, this isn't the simplest thing, no matter what anybody says. And you, you got to know, and I, you know, it's just like the pitfalls that I've told them, you, you've got to know all the downfalls and we're going under the worst case scenario. And a lot of these people, I think when they go post them, they, they give the best case scenario, you know, you got to go with the worst case scenario, um, the worst numbers, the worst outcome, yeah. the worst, whatever. And, exactly. and a lot of people don't do that. So. Reagan, from a, from a litigation point of view, uh, you know, as Bill and Karen say about posting on Facebook and stuff like that, how about raising capital from a passive investor? Is, is that legal for someone to be a joint venture with somebody else where the only thing that person does is provide funds? Well, I mean, the big thing is, is, is going to be putting everything in writing. I mean, when, when it comes to JV agreement, it's, it's usually short-term. Um, there's an exit strategy. You know, you're, you're putting money in for this specific venture. Um, you end up becoming a, a bank or a lender at that point. And you just got to be careful. But I, I, if you're looking at JV, you got to look at a JV agreement. Put everything in writing and, and make sure everybody knows what it means and, you know, how long it's going to take. Gotcha. You know, I have a hard time believing that you can passively have a JV investor um, and, and passively invest and not have that partner doing any of the work. Is that a problem where someone does absolutely nothing? As part of the JV agreement? Yeah, where they just fund the deal. Well, I mean, if you base the writing off of that, you, you probably could. Um, there's, there's probably pitfalls in that too on, on both sides, not just the, the person taking the money, but the person putting the money in. Um, but again, whenever you come to a JV agreement, obviously somebody's probably bringing in more money and, and trying to fund a little more of it than, than the other. What happens if somebody is only doing the, micro, the, the, the funding and not doing any working deal? Well, I mean, ex explain the work. So what, you know, I guess managing the properties or, or what, you know, trying to get the deals, they just literally just putting money into the deal. Just putting money in. I, I got to take a look at that. I, I mean, usually I don't see that. I mean, usually you got both sides doing something. Um, I think I lost your audio there. So, I mean, the problem is when people are doing deals and they are putting in money and just funding a deal for a partner, if you gave me money and a JV just says you give me money when you split 50-50 and you do absolutely no work, I, on my understanding is that cannot happen. That JV partner has to work in a deal or that's seen as raising capital. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's how I've normally seen JV agreements is both sides are doing something. I mean, I, I haven't seen one where somebody's just putting money in and kind of walking away. Um, I, I really haven't seen it. Okay. So um, we want to get into also the dealings with buying a note. Um, and, you know, I'm going to touch upon quickly a brokering. Um, when you find a deal through a broker, what is the typical situation and how do you tell if that broker is, 
is truly a broker. Karen, I'm sure you've seen deals. I'm sure bills. When you have a person come at you and says, "Oh, I have direct access to an an asset," what's your first thought, and how do you know if they're true or not? Well, a lot of times, if it's ones you've seen already, or even the way they word it, you know, um, the direct access usually tells you. Uh, that's just one of the ones that like if, if somebody's really selling it to you, if somebody's coming after you it would be the first one. If somebody's sending them to you, you know, every hedge fund doesn't come and hunt me down. You know? <laughs> It'd be nice. You know I, mean? I mean, I have to send them an email and say, send me what you got. So if they're coming to me in the first place, that's the first one that they're probably trying to wholesale a list. And let them say, listen, I'm direct to the seller. Well, yeah, direct to the seller doesn't make them the seller. So. Yeah. And, and Bill, what, what, from your experience, when you see, we call them joker brokers, I hate if anyone's been brokering deals, you've seen deals come at you and go, well, I'm direct to the XYZ or I'm the seller rep, which is the more formalized word of it. What's your first thought and how do you know if they're true people or not? Just like Karen said, um, I just use all my experience and all my network and relationships in this business. If I'm looking for something or my clients need something, you know, we're going direct to a hedge fund or to a note seller and we're requesting and seeing what they have. Um, I rarely deal with any brokers. Uh, you know, I know a lot of bigger people deal with some big brokers and they know the real brokers. But if somebody's calling me and I don't really know them, I'm kind of just pushing them off and not even going to really, you know, I'll respect them, but I'm not going to do any business or really, or really deal with them to waste my time. Gotcha. I really want to play any daisy chain game in the second space at all. You know, I, yo, no, you don't want to play it in anywhere. This isn't a wholesaling, you know, yellow letter kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my, I've given this out to a few people. My two first questions, if someone has assets, which, I rarely believe is um, first off they ask for any kind of I, any kind of LOI or any of that I ignore them immediately. Um, I've never given out any kind of letter of intent any time in this space ever. Um, I ask who the servicer of the assets are and ask who the collateral storage manager is. Um, it can be them, it could be Franco, it could be whoever, but the seller or direct to the seller would know both those questions. Um, they don't know who the servicer is or collateral. Um, there's problems. I'm just trying to help out some of the new people who are going on LinkedIn and Facebook and hearing about these great tapes direct. Um, ask them who the servicer is. Ask who the collateral manager is. Um, they have to or should know that. Um, there's not many brokers in the space. There's not many sellers in the space. Um, brokers are usually either selling something that's old or stuff that's been passed around by six people. I want to get into, um, I'm going to get into the BK thing in a minute. Um, uh, and I want to touch upon debt licenses uh, as well and worry about them. But I wanted to get into the cost of getting an LLC together, buying notes in a private name and things like that. Um, are all you guys buying notes in an LLC? Bill, Aaron, LLC, correct? Yes. Yes, LLC or the IRA. Yeah, or the IRA, yeah. Most yeah. of mine are IRA. And why are you doing that? What's the advantage of doing that versus buying personally? What could happen, you, you, you know? 
you know, basic coverage is the protection blanket that you have of doing notes. Um, I think that most people are getting in the space and being told it's easy and we just, just jump in. Um, and that's where some of my concern comes at. Um, Bill and I talked about insurance and getting sued and having your protection. Um, it's, you're going to get sued in this space, which is kind of scary. Um, I want to move on to the time it takes to find a deal. Karen, you get a tape of assets, even 20, let's say. Um, what's the time period that it takes you to get to a 20 from start to finish? I mean, you're looking at 20 minutes, 23 minutes long to find a deal you want. How difficult, how time consuming is this space to find a single three, four deals or even a tape of deals that you really want to bid on? Uh, well, that's several different directions there. Um, you know, right now I think it's harder to find tapes than it was, you know, months ago or last year. It's a lot harder to find the tapes. Um, but you know, going through them, once you get used to it, I don't think it takes that much time. You, you knock them out pretty fast. You know, you know what you want, you know, whether it's knocking them out by States or putting formulas in or, you know, I still, I think the hardest thing right now is finding tapes that you haven't seen over and over and over. Yeah. So when you find that asset you like, the due diligence that gets involved in that to make sure that the asset is a solid asset. Um, Bill, can you share a little bit of what your, what do you need to do to make sure that's an asset that you want? Yeah. Once again, you know, most of our exits are through the bar. So if I get a spreadsheet, I'm pretty good at uh, determining, um, you know, what I like and what I would pay for it. That's the reality in the second space. A lot of it is purchase price and what you would pay for it. Um, if I have, if I have my computer, the spreadsheet, the credit report, and access to Pacer, um, I can determine pretty much in 15 or 20 minutes uh, what I would pay for that asset and if I want that asset. Um, could take, you know, a new person an hour or two. Um, once again, I take a lot of chances in this space uh, just because I know what a lot of the outcomes end up being and it's truly not through the property. So, you know, I'm not picture perfect, um, yeah. but I don't do a lot of, you know, having somebody on the ground look at the property. You know, when you buy a lot of uh, seconds and that first is current, you know, you're taking a lot of assumptions that the taxes are being paid and that yep. the homeowner's in there taking care of it because there's a first mortgage um, current and being paid on. Now, if that first is not current or that first is unknown, you know, it may take a little longer to dive into it. You may have to pull title if you're really interested in an asset and you're not real sure, but I can usually determine in 15, 20 minutes uh, what I would like to pay for that asset. Karen, when you, when you get that asset you like and you start to do diligence process, um, how deep are you going in that borrower, the asset self, county records? Well, with the first, it's, you know, totally different than what Bill does, of course. Uh, I would say when I get the, you know, the first tape before I do a first bid, I do enough due diligence to know, the, the you know, the biggest one is to make sure about the taxes, whether the taxes are paid or not. Mm -hmm. Because if you bid on that and then that's the thing you come back with, you're out of luck because they're not knocking those taxes off. But if you bid on it and then find out the roof is caved in, you know, 
after you've bid on it, even if they've accepted it, they're a lot better off about, you know, if you're like the property's destroyed, you can still renegotiate, but you can't yep. come back and say, oops, I forgot to check the taxes. So yeah. that's my biggest one ever is making sure, you know, cause you can come up with a thousand dollars or $10,000 It's crazy sometimes what's not paid on a. Yeah. Tax. And then what some people don't know in like Texas, uh, a tax next job right. is like a mortgage and third mortgages. Right. And whatnot. So you have to know a lot about it. You have to know enough to know what you need to ask. Even when you call, yes. you can't just call and say, are they paid? Cause they might say, yes, <laughs> yeah. so you have to ask who they're paid for by, you know, and, and if it's ABC tax service, whatever, then yep. somebody's got to lean on that property, yep. but you have to know that much too. So. Yeah. Um, what it, I, I'd like to know from, some of the newer people here, what are some of the things that you look for in your due diligence period? And Franco too, in collateral, as well as the property, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years that you know now that if you can go back to year one of doing notes, you would not do again? Um, I'm gonna actually let Shante answer this one because from a service point of view, she's running into a lot of investors who are new, who are coming in and they, they just didn't know, they didn't know. Um, Shanti, what would you say some of the new investors you're seeing now coming through the service side are going, crap, I wish I knew that? Um, I, the number one thing that I see and I get the most phone calls on just because they, you know, kind of need some assistance and I'm there to help as much as I can is that they are running into issues with their collateral. They aren't sure what they're looking at. Um, I don't feel as if a lot of people are um, experienced, obviously, enough to when you are doing your due diligence, going through collateral, knowing what you're looking for, knowing what an assignment of mortgage is, knowing that you should have a matching launch to go with that. Um, some people I even had, they had no idea what a deed of trust was to begin with. So I think everybody should kind of take a step back and do as much research as they can um, because I see files that come in all the time. They're missing assignments. The assignment chain is all out of whack. Um, just the other day, I had an investor who bought a note and had it transferred to Madison um, for servicing, but they had the their assignments were transferred to Madison as well. Madison doesn't own that note. Um, it was at no fault of his. Um, whoever drafted it kind of made the mix up, but it's things like that that you guys should keep an eye out for and be looking for. You know, understand that you know that is your your investment, that is your note, and you want to make sure that that stuff is clean and clear before you go and purchase and a lot of the other the stuff before assignments transferred to you, um, you can see. And then of course you want to double check whatever's being drafted transferring to you. But I feel like that's number one um, downfall um, just to newer investors that the knowledge just isn't there yet and they're not comfortable yet and they don't know what to look for and you rely on everybody else to kind of do your due diligence um, and you never know um, how well everybody else is and how versed they are to do that. So I think you know, Great point. Great segue to Franco. Franco, how can you resolve that? And someone asked a private question regarding, um, again, what states you work in, so answer as well. What are some of the things you can assist with for them privately as well as relationship-wise that could avoid that, that heartache and that understanding and the lack of knowledge? Right. And I, th I think Shante is right on point. You know, I think it's, um, I call it the real estate language. You know, it's a completely different way of looking at things, assignments, uh, uh, deeds and mortgages and some are, you know, uh, deed of trust. There's so many different ways of looking at a document. Now what we do in house, we, we do practice in, it's in Ohio, uh, Michigan, Kentucky, and Indiana. 
So we've got a pretty good swath here in the Midwest. Um, but we perform a, a title and collateral review. What we would like to see is a, a copy of the collateral file um, along with a copy of the title report. Um, that's what normally all the investors get. The O and E report for if people right. aren't familiar with it. Right. And uh, what we would do is I take a look at the O and E report. I take a look at the collateral and uh, kind of merge the two and provide you with an analysis, a one-page analysis of kind of the, um, the the highlights of the file that you're buying. And and there are times where I do put in there, you know, I, I really don't recommend you purchasing it. There's the, the assignment chain is so bad. Um, you know, the, the prior deeds are bad. A lot of that can be fixed if you have, if you buy a note and mortgage and there's a title policy, there's a lender's policy involved. You can always go back if there's a lien that, that, that shows up that has priority, you can make a title claim. Uh, what you can't make a title claim on is, is a, a clean chain of title. Um, that is something really all investors should know when you're looking at a title report. Um, if you don't use us and you're looking at it by yourself, that you could have a nut, you could have seven assignments. It look good to you, but something's wrong. Maybe one's yeah. out of order and it's, it's, it's a little hard. missing something. Yeah. You have to go back in the chain, fix it that way. And, you know, we've helped in, in, in that sense, but you know, you want to get that pre-purchase so you can at least go back to your seller and say, what can you do for me? And I'm sure the first question everyone's asked is what's the cost in a pre-purchase review for, with you guys? Well, we're, we're on the cheap side only because we, we hope you guys give us the default work if it gets defaulted. We only charge $100 to do it. Um, it takes between 24 and 48 hours to get it back once we receive it. Uh, so we do turn around pretty quickly. Um, I've done some on Saturday and Sunday just for some hot deals, but that, that's fine. You know, we, we like the work, we enjoy it, um, and we do you know, provide that pretty quickly at a cheap rate. So to clarify, what he's saying is he'll take all your electronic collateral that you got from your seller, which he should have received, um, and send it to him. He'll review it as well as your O&E and compare it and see what's missing and what's not missing. Um, I also, whenever I'm buying a loan, I'm also asking for servicing notes. I'm asking for if they have a collateral uh, custodian report from their previous time when they got a review done. Um, I'm also asking for property preservation pictures or any kind of work that's done with that. Um, and who the FPI company is, if it's being, um, if there's insurance on it. There's a lot of funds out there that are not putting insurance on there. Um, Bill, in the second space, what kind of things are you looking for in that, in the due diligence period on an asset file that new investors you wish you knew year one and year two? Absolutely. And I should have mentioned this earlier. When I said I can determine in 15 or 20 minutes um, what I would pay on a file, I've um, been very blessed and very thankful for this space. And one thing that I've learned is to do business with real people. So when I'm buying something, like I know the collateral is legitimate. And if there is something wrong with it, even after purchase, we can run up the chain and get stuff fixed all the time. Um, any legitimate good note seller, if you buy something and something happens, um, they're usually pretty good at, at fixing stuff or helping you resolve it. Uh, you know, I do it all the time, you know, managing that many files. Um, one thing that I'm good at is uh, I actually want to touch the file when I'm first hired. Um, I also do it with my files. Um, I want to look at it, make sure everything's good. Um, even when I uh, work files in the second space, uh, within the first 30 days, I'm sending it over to an attorney, um, not only to send out a demand letter, but I'm also going to get the attorney's eyes on all the collateral right away. Uh, most important thing in this space is the collateral. Um, people buy 
non-performing loans and they're chasing the borrower right away. I don't do that. I'm making sure the collateral is legitimate yep. and I'm having an attorney send out a demand letter. And once I know those two things are set, I call it I'm parked and I'm good to go. So um, it, it, it's a huge deal and a big deal in this space. Um, but at the same time, a lot of stuff can get fixed. Um, there's document companies that I utilize like Orion and Richmond and Monroe to handle stuff when I can't fix it. Um, you know, there's always something going on, even um, like in Georgia, you'll buy a file, there's a chain of assignments, and as soon as you send it to a Georgia attorney, they're going to tell you you got to redo the assignments. And it's not that anybody did anything wrong. Some counties have a specific language that they want something in there, and they'll make you redo them. And it makes it so much easier, easier when you know who you purchased it from and you know the up chain. It just makes everything a lot easier. Awesome. A lot of stuff that first-year buyers who get quick courses and some of that don't have a clue about. And it's, it's not – I don't want to scare people, but I want to make them aware. Um, and I, I did want to also um, touch about – Karen, with all this work, we're paying Franco to do reviews and that. There's a, there's, there's a cost of not getting a deal accepted. You do all the work on it, time on it value it, order a BPO maybe, and for whatever reason, the deal doesn't work out. Um, I'm working with a deal with Frank right now that I've got everything ready. We're just trying to find a way to get this, this loan worked out that I can buy it. Time, money, energy. How often does that happen in this space? Well, to go back to that one too, I would say if when, – when, I was thinking while they were saying it yeah. that yes, there wouldn't be any reason not to have Franco do something like that for a hundred dollars. I mean, I get O and E's I get, but if you can have an attorney do it right off the bat, you know, that, that changes everything. And to me, it's, I mean, I read through them, but they bore the heck out of me, <laughs> you know, which I have a friend who loves them and I'm, sure you know who I'm talking about, but she yes. loves them and I don't, you know, so if I can pay somebody a hundred dollars to do it for me, that that's well worth it. But yeah. Besides doing it in six different States, you know, you, you can't keep up realistically what every state's going to want. Yeah. But there, there's always going to be ones that, I mean, but I'd rather them fall through in the beginning than fall through later, you know? So, yeah. you know, get your O&E and send it to an attorney and, you know, you can find out pretty fast if everything's going to work out the way, you know, you read it to work out. So. And a lot of people new in space have no clue about this stuff. You know, they get, they saw an asset, they bid it at 55% of value and they're like rock and rolling. Um, they may or may not order an E, may they order it, don't even know what it looks like, don't know how to read it, um, and they're throwing out JV offers. Um, it kind of scares me. Yeah. Um, Ryan did post a question. Um, Ryan, I'm, what I'll do is I'll, I'll address that. I don't think that would be uh, that detailed situation. He's talking about phantom income on taxes that were forgiven in a loan situation. Um, uh, what I'll do is I'll hook you up with Franco, talk about it directly um, as that's a a very specific situation. Um, you know, in this space, it's it's funny, you know, besides managing the deal, I gotta manage our attorneys, we gotta manage our servicer, um, we gotta manage our JV partner if you have one, um, and stay up to date on rules. Um, there's debt licenses we have to worry about, um, changing in times and court records, um, and staying on top of our attorneys to make sure they know what's going on. 
Um, how often are you guys, Bill and Karen, working with the servicer and staying on top of them that handing a file to Shante and going, okay, let us know when it's done. How often are you dealing with your servicer to make sure things stay on top of it? Build a little differently, but you know he's also working files. How much time is spent working on these files? Karen? Um, I would say it's kind of a constant thing. I mean, you're, you're constant, like you said, you're, you've got to manage, you've still got to, you, you don't get to just hand it to them and say, tell me when it's done. Um, you've, you've still got to constantly see what the attorney's doing or where it needs to go or why it's getting rejected by the county or, I mean, that's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot more to it than you're taught I mean, there's to it, you know, but I mean, people, literally i mean you we go to the things all over the country and everybody's saying oh it's great it's easy it's you know and nobody wants to stand up there and like this and tell you there's a lot to manage in it you know yeah and it's funny when you get in the first and you handle one or two it's like well it's a little bit it's not bad and get to get to three or four or five well this is getting harder and you need to expand and do things differently and it's one or two is easy to handle um Bill, do you want to add anything to that at all? You know, you, you handle your files a little differently. You don't hand them off to anyone else. Um, you personally handle it. How much time are you managing your files? I manage right around 80 right now for clients. Um, you know, since from like 2011 to 2017, I was in between that 100 and 150 mark. Um, it's very time consuming. You got to have your systems and processes down. Um, I call it laser-focused daily activity. Um, you know, I'm on top of my stuff daily. Um, you know, I build out my systems and processes. Um, you know, I utilize attorneys and servicers and document companies. Um, you know, my accountant and my QuickBooks people are probably the two most important people on my team. Um, I don't do any QuickBooks uh, data entry. Um, I track all my money in and out, and I have all my folders and systems where I put everything. But, you know, they're keeping track of all that. I'm just concentrating on what makes me money. And, uh, oh, it's absolutely. Um, you know, to get a deal across the finish line in the second space and actually get paid from it, there's so much that needs to happen from the homeowner sending the stuff in to it getting to the servicer to process and for my client to do everything that needs to get done for me to actually get paid. So it's, it's real hands-on, um, you know, constantly managing stuff, constantly – you know, going out of my way to get stuff done for people. Um, you know, it's all about your reputation. It's all about the back office. Um, yeah. You know, I'm at my desk probably, you know, 25 hours a week. Yeah. Um, you know, I manage a lot through the phone also, but, you know, I need to be at my desk probably 25 hours, if not more, um, especially dealing with a lot of that collateral. Um, and it's just, it's very time consuming. Um, there's so many little fine details. Um, I'm very detail-oriented, and uh, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on, from assignments to allonges to documents. So, I mean, it, it's a full-time job. I mean, this is what I do full-time. It, it, it's not as easy as just put a deal out there, bid on it, and let things happen. There's a lot of things that can go on. Um, and I wanted to touch upon this because this has come up a few times in groups I saw, um, you know, bankruptcy situation. How often are you guys getting involved in bankruptcy? How much of pain can it be? And how much can it be beneficial? And I'm going to go into Franco in a minute about how BK can, can sometimes help and hurt you. 
Karen, you want to explain how BK? Well, and I can, I, mine can be easy because I've never had any. I've never bought any that were in bankruptcy, and I've never had. I've never had so far <laughs> any that I had to uh, that I've had to deal with them. So awesome. I mean, I know people buy it specifically, and it sounds fun to me too <laughs> to go after it. But it's kind of like you say of you got to concentrate on one thing. So I, I usually it's a lot. There's a lot to it. So I. How about if a loan goes from, from non-performing to BK because it's the last day and you're going to foreclose on it? Um, well, the majority of the ones I have anyway are have always been empty or um, contract for deeds. Okay. So I've, I've, that's why I've never had to deal with it. You've been lucky. Bill, BKs. Uh, I deal with BK all the time. Um, actually, you know, in the second space, a lot of the seconds that you buy are uh, Chapter 7 bankruptcy discharges. Um, you know, what a Chapter 7 bankruptcy is, is the homeowner went through bankruptcy. Uh, a few months later, they got discharged of all their debt personally. They're not liable for it anymore. But in the second space, um, it's just understanding that the, the liens still exist on the property. And if anybody wants to stay in the house, they have to um, you know, deal with the lien on the property. That's chapter seven. Uh, chapter 13 is a whole new ball game. Um, you know, I basically, in my, in my space, I, uh, I force three exits basically with legal when I'm working alone. A homeowner is going to pay me. They're going to make me get the keys or they're going to file bankruptcy. And when they file bankruptcy, majority of the time, it's chapter 13. And in this space, um, a lot of the borrowers will file chapter 13 um, to try to strip your lien because a lot of seconds, sometimes there's no equity or a little bit of equity. Um, if there's plenty of equity and they file 13, um, you're going to be included in the plan and it's actually awesome. But a lot of the times the things that I deal with is a homeowner will file chapter 13 and they're going to try to strip your lien within bankruptcy. And if the court approves it, you're at the mercy of their BK plan. If they complete it, your lien stripped. So I deal with a lot of BK. Um, I'm in Pacer a lot. I actually just got hired to work, uh, not work, but uh, go through about 50 loans for a note seller right now of Chapter 13 and just kind of see what's going on with them um, and give them a little bit of an update. Just something I do on the side, some other services like that. But uh, I've gotten really good at understanding bankruptcy. And, you know, one thing that I, I take a lot of pride in is you know, there's a lot of attorneys that are definitely experts in bankruptcy, but they're not a second mortgage investor with our pockets. And Ooh, that's a good one. We have to make decisions on what's best for our portfolio. So a lot of times you're just accepting what just happened with the chapter 13. They filed a motion to strip. You're not going to fight it because there's no equity and you're just sitting back and waiting for it. One thing I found out very early on is you're not really going to pierce a judge and, you know, sometimes you can, you know, change the plan a little bit, but a lot of the contestant, you're just going to waste money. Um, if the equity's not there, there's no reason to fight it. You know, if you think the equity's there, go ahead and fight it. You may have a chance of winning. But a lot of times you spend a lot of money to find out that there's no equity. You can't fight the confirmation of the plan. And you just have to kind of sit back and go work on other deals. Um, at least with the stuff I work. I work a lot of no equity, not a lot of equity deals. Um, you know, it's a completely different ball game. If there's a lot of equity in the space, 
and you're not being addressed, you definitely want to fight it and get addressed. So we're going to get to BK real quick with Franco, and then we're going to get into ROI calculator stuff. Franco, you know, BK can be a, a blessing to us with payment string coming in, but also can be a curse. Um, we have situations where we've seen multiple firewalls of BK, and um, I wanted to briefly talk about I know a part of yours can talk more about it offline. Um, is there a resolution to if someone files a BK repeatedly to prolong foreclosure? Yeah, you know, to be honest, that, that side of it, that's, uh, that's a pretty specialized field. And my, my partner, Tony, does handle the, the bankruptcy side. I don't know if he's, he's in here today or not or, or can address it. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got all the knowledge. He's a, a fantastic partner of mine. And if he's available. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll mute Tony. Tony, are you there? I sure am. Can you hear me? Can you, uh, in a quick kind of context, can you explain if something, if a file, bankruptcy filer repeatedly files bankruptcy, what resolution can a, a lender have to resolve a repeat filer? Uh, well, pretty, pretty simply, uh, debtor, if a debtor's involved in a bankruptcy, uh, if the debtor's involved in one bankruptcy within the last year before his current bankruptcy, his automatic stay is only in effect for 30 days. Um, what that means is, is he's got a reprieve from his creditors only for 30 days. Uh, see that a lot. Uh, that went into effect in 2005. Uh, if the debtor's been involved in two or more bankruptcies within the last year prior to his current bankruptcy, that automatic stay is not in effect at all and you can continue to collect on that borrower, contact that borrower, um, but it's, it's a bit tricky uh, because some courts, or actually it's a bit tricky because uh, that debtor can file a motion to implement the automatic stay. And what that basically means is, hey, I've made some mistakes. Uh, here's why I think this case will work. But until that motion to implement the automatic stay is filed, there is no stay on that case. And you can continue to collect. You can, uh, if the foreclosure sales the next day, you can still have the foreclosure sale. Uh, so it's a pretty powerful tool. Um, what we see a lot uh, that a lot of our clients want us to do is uh, if we get to that point, if we get to that point where it is that third filing in the last year and there is no stay, that we would want to go to the court and seek what we kind of call a comfort order. We're, we're seeking an order from the court that says, yes, there is no stay in effect. You can proceed. Um, so uh, there's no punishment necessarily for that borrower. There may be a very good reason why they've been in uh, several bankruptcies before the current one. But, uh, but that's kind of what you're looking at. How about the in-rem relief um, context of what that does and how that can help us as lenders? Well, explain what, explain what you mean by in-rem relief. Well, my understanding of in-rem relief is when a repeat filer does multiple files and, and they don't do anything with it, you can file what they call in-rem relief, which basically puts that automatic stay on it for 180 days. Um, oh, so you're looking, you're looking for a bar to refiling. So you're looking for a bar to that debtor refiling bankruptcy. Uh, I have filed those. I've been successful on some. I've been unsuccessful on others. Um, many, many instances what I do, because that, that, that's going to typically cost somebody a lot of money. So somebody who doesn't have a lot of money in a property, they're not going to want to pay an attorney 10, 15 hours to, to prosecute a, 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 a filer like that and get a 180-day bar. Uh, you may be um, more interested in sitting back and letting the trustee do that work. A lot of times you'll see very proactive trustees filing motions to dismiss a case for that purpose. Uh, motions to dismiss 
uh, and putting 180 day uh, multiple year bars on filing. Um, you know, to, to the to the more savvy note buyer out there, uh, maybe if that happens to them, contact the trustee themselves and say, you know, hey, Madam Trustee, Mr. Trustee, uh, Mr. Bankruptcy Trustee, Mrs. Bankruptcy Trustee, you know, you've got a, a debtor here who's filed three, four, five times in the last year. You know, this is bankruptcy abuse. You know, is there anything that can happen with that? Yeah. Um, but 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 it's a you know you, you get to a point where you, you want to make sure you're not spending good money after bad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're probably worth thirty grand. Sometimes it's not worth it. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, why would you why would you pay me? I, I mean, I'm a practical kind of guy. I mean, I'm a businessman. <laughs> Frank was a businessman. You know, you're not going to pay me three thousand dollars to maybe get a hundred and eighty day bar on a file. It's it's ridiculous. I'm going to tell you, don't do that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tony, I'll, we'll definitely link up your information on the so anyone that needs to ask additional questions, they can reach out to you. Thanks, please Tony. Do, please do. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Um, the, the last topic we want to get into um, is in, in what we get into ROI calculators. What we're seeing a lot about, uh, and one of the bigger reasons we did this webinar is a lot of people are missing a lot of the expenses that go into making a bid happen. Um, people are bidding stair step. Uh, percentage of a um, lot of different things. I think people are missing out on the legal fees, servicing fees, ins insurance fees. Um, they're missing out on a lot of stuff. Um, I think what people don't realize is there's expenses in the space that they're not aware of simply because they just don't know. Um, can, it, Karen, can you name some of the things that, uh, you include, you would like a younger Karen to know that the first RI calculator that you put together, uh, like myself probably changed. You'd probably be scared to do your first one. A lot of people want to know what your RI calculator is. Um, and there's a good reason we don't give it out. And right. it's not because I don't want to share it. It's you won't understand it and you should understand what's into it. Can you give me some of the things that you look for in the first space that are expenses that you wish that other people knew? Did we have the exact same conversation in Dallas? Because the way you just said it sounded like it came straight from me. Because I have people that ask me, and I say, you're, I, it's, you can't, you're, I can't give it to you. You're not going to understand it. And even if I explained it to you, you're, you know, you're, what you need isn't going to be the same as what I need. You know, So I... I, I start out a bit off of a stair step, but I still have a whole Excel file that I plug things into and I have to redo it. You know, if it's, if I don't just plug them in and then I accept it on every one of them. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I really individually, when it comes down to the whatever 15 or 20 or whatever that I want to bid on, I go look at each one of them individually and see whether those numbers really apply to that one. Um, so what are some of the expenses that go into this calculator that you can name off the top of your head that are, are things that may not – everyone knows that there's a servicing cost. Hopefully they do. Well, there's servicing, there's taxes, there's – but like I said, um, sometimes it depends on uh, whether the house looks whether, – whether you know the house is empty or whether you're assuming it's empty. I mean, you're going to check that later or – whether it's a contract for deed or whether it looks like, you know, they're not going to, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can tell by looking at a house, you know, 
even if you're just looking at the picture of it to me you, you know you can see whether it looks like somebody wants to stay or they've already left or so to me every one of them is kind of different because um are you going to have uh remodel costs because it looks like they're already gone does it look like they've already torn something up uh, are you just not going to remodel it so you're just going to turn around and sell it for as low as possible to a yeah. to a rehab person so that's why uh, to me it's every one of them's individualized you know do you want these people to stay by the way their numbers look um by the way they keep the house or are you going to go for assuming that you're going to uh you know foreclose on it so are you going to have recap cast costs or are you going to have foreclosure costs or are you going to assume that you're just going to refi and you're not going to have any of those costs bill what kind of expenses you know and i can go quick i had a list that i put together that maybe help you guys brainstorm a little bit uh, i'll run through it real quick um i in my calculator i make sure i have fpi because i want to make sure i have insurance in that property um, I factor in if there's a bankruptcy situation going on right now, what it costs for me to file bankruptcy um, uh, relief of stay, um, servicing costs. I'm expecting the first month, uh, more likely not going to get much done between the, the RESPA and processing. Um, not only the current taxes uh, of what is annually, but your back taxes uh, and what the future taxes are going to be. So while you're foreclosing, you're to make sure your taxes are impeded so if you're projecting out a year, you may be ready to pay next year's taxes. Um, we got into also um, rehab. Uh, you have the budget that if it's gonna foreclose, worst case scenario, you may have to put in paint and carpet. Um, you may not be able to sell it as is. Um, attorney fees, um, not only just filing fees, where a lot of people are looking at just the cost of, for, uh, of legal, but there's court costs as well. So it's not just one side of the legal side, um, the, the, the Fannie Bay allowables. Um, you cost your O&E, uh, your cost of your BPO, um, the liens involved, the judgments, IRS liens, which we briefly talked about online that if there's an IRS lien and it was um, filed after your mortgage, they have up to 120 days after the foreclosure to actually uh, redeem the property. Uh, states with super liens, um, HOA problems, um, redemption, uh, which is a huge thing with people like Alabama and states like Michigan, people are seeing three-month foreclosure periods and going, my calculator projects three months, I'm good, rock and roll. And then they find out there's a six-month redemption period on it, and you can't sell it during that time period. Um, those kind of costs go into it. Boarding a loan. Doing the, getting a payoff letter from Madison, um, the cost of deed and lose, cost of forbearance agreements, recording fees, demand letter fees, um, time frames that these things take place. Um, if a borrower sent in financials, how long do they have? All these time frames, not only the cost, but actual time frames for it to happen exceed. So every month you do it is a cost to you a cost on taxes, cost on insurance, cost on servicing. So, you know, Bill, in your calculator, when you're buying a loan, what are some of the things in the second space that you guys have to price in your deals that, you know, 55% of value just bid across the board doesn't work sometimes? 
Yeah, the toughest thing I think in the second space is to actually purchase a deal based off what your ROI is going to be. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I, I force a lot of exits um, and a lot of the ROIs will be determined on what the bar can actually afford. Sometimes bars can come up with a crazy payoff and you don't see that anywhere in your due diligence. But the major cost in the second space are your servicing cost and your legal cost. Um, you really need to be familiar with your non-judicial and your judicial states. Um, you know, it, it's real common in the second mortgage space for a judicial state for a good deal to take 18 to 30 months before you actually get a deal done. Yeah. Um, you know, I manage a lot of files for different people and some of the times it may be a newer investor and they start getting nervous in that 18 to 24 month range, like nothing, nothing's happening. They're spending money. What's going on? And to me, I'm looking my chops because that's where it's getting good out in that that deep range. You know, you need to be familiar with, you know, a non-judicial state, you know, it could take three to eight months and it may cost you, you know, a thousand to the three thousand dollars to foreclose. A judicial state could cost you three grand all the way up to ten grand. And they're just on an uncontested foreclosure. Yes. Second space, you're getting, you know, one out of three foreclosures are getting contested by an opposing attorney. And that just starts jacking up your cost. I mean, it, it's real. It's real easy to spend, you know, eight to twelve grand in in New York um, on a on a second mortgage that you're foreclosing on. Um, you know, in Florida, you know, an uncontested foreclosure like fifty five hundred could all of a sudden be eight nine grand because it's getting contested. Um, you know, if you're going into a deal thinking it's just going to be service as a non-performing note for six months and now you're out to 24 or 30 months, you know, they're the big costs in this space are servicers and uh, legal, you know, the ROI, um, you know, on these performing notes to go into a deal um, saying, this is the ROI I want. It's just, it's not the right space for you. Um, the returns are ridiculous when they work out. Um, you know, I can tell you horror stories and I can give you some ridiculous stories on, um, great returns. Um, you know, I just, <laughs> because I was able to purchase this thing at a very good price and I got very lucky with just a demand letter on a file that I, uh, had in Ohio. Um, you know, when I punch my numbers into my 10 BII, <laughs> it's telling me I'm a little over a 500 ROI. I mean, it, and I, <laughs> I don't talk those numbers with people because they're like, number one, they might not believe you. And, uh, you know, I can tell you stuff that I've been wiped also. So it's yep. like, it's everywhere in between in the second space. Now, when I'm buying a re-performing second mortgage, you know, absolutely, you know, I'm looking for a specific rate of return. But to like really plug in a true, I want this return on this deal in the second space is just tough because it's, it's a lot about the portfolio. It's a numbers game. And it's more about playing a few times. Um, and kind of building that portfolio to get those real good returns. Is there any cost that, that in the second space, since I don't do a lot of seconds, that I missed in my list? I mean, we don't pull, uh, you know, uh, we don't pull any kind of federal um, uh, credit reports in the first space. I've been told by Rasik and all that, you should pull it for, you know, it's better for you guys. We don't pull those kind of fee, those kind of reports. So it's not a fee that I add in there. Is there anything like that that you pinpoint that 
that those costs should be in the calculator? I mean, you just banged it out. I mean, you just, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of the things that an attorney will pay, pay for with demand letters, judgments, complaints, all that stuff. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of things that a servicer may be able to help you out with, with payoffs, um, different documents. You know, I do, um, I don't pull them myself, but I do have my avenue to pull credit reports. Um, you know, they're not real expensive, you know, $5, $10, $15. Um, I'm in Pacer a lot. And once again, it's not real expensive, but it's 10 cents a page in Pacer. Yep. Um, you know, I could easily go in Pacer and pull 500 pages one day. And um, real and quick, for anyone who's not familiar, Pacer is the government version. They can look in any kind of bankruptcy file and see the details of the bankruptcy filing on any borrower that's filed bankruptcy. It's it. You know, we do pull title. Um, usually, um, as you're foreclosing, you know, an attorney will pull title for you, and I kind of lump that all into that cost. But, you know, just like anybody doing due diligence, maybe I pull a title report for 100 bucks or $90 bucks, um, just to kind of see what's going on, if there's a something I'm not real sure about. Um, you know, a lot with the second space, there's divorces, there's <laughs> people deeding the property over to a family member. A lot of crazy stuff goes on that, you know, you might just not be able to, you know, put pieces together doing your due diligence. So, you know, you really like a specific deal. So maybe you will spend a little bit of money up front with, a, you know, like I said, a title report. Um, I rarely ever do O&Es for anything in my space. Franco, are there any expenses that you wish that, besides the $100 for you, of course, that investors should be looking at or not calculating. We're seeing a lot of investors out there bidding on assets, doing the Facebook advertising that they bought this asset. And I've seen the exact same file and I bid it $10,000 less because of XYZ reasons. And when they're not conservative, they're getting these deals and within a year they're out of the space, which sucks. Um, great for competitiveness, but it sucks because you to see someone fail. Are there any expenses that you would say that we should have in our calculator if we're buying an asset in your state you represent? Yeah, you know, to go along with Bill, you know, you got to budget it out and you budget it out through your attorney. I mean, the minute it goes to litigation with a demand letter, you'll know from our office exactly what that budget's going to be. So we budget out, you know, non-contested and we budget out contested. So um, between those two rates, you know, we'll provide anybody with our, our fee schedule who want to use us. Um, but definitely you, you gotta be able to budget that in, um, uh, even before you purchase it. And, um, without any type of budget, you know, I, I know you guys are all talking about non-judicial and judicial states, you know, uh, Ohio is judicial, Michigan's non-judicial. So we're, we're in both, uh, playgrounds and it's correct. You know, you, you, you get your property back technically in Michigan within 45 to 60 days. Uh, but you're sitting there at a six-month redemption period. Uh, in Ohio, it's going to take you six to nine months, even longer, to get your house back. But once once you get the property back, you're 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 set at that point. Um, but the cost standpoint, you know, really take out the attorney's fees because what we do is we bill uh, based on a flat fee rate, which I have in front of you. The cost that you're going to see, complaint filing fee. You know, especially in Ohio, there's so many different counties that charge different rates. Some charge 500, some charge 900. You don't know unless you're in that county. Um, there's a requirement for a preliminary judicial report that gets filed with the complaint. Those are could be very costly because there's the price for the actual report, and then there's a premium on top of it based on the value of the property of what the county auditor has. 
and then you have to do a final judicial report uh, when you get towards judgment. And then there's uh, other legal descriptions that need to be approved. And then once you get the sale, there's a lot of sale costs. So we do give you those budgets, uh, but it's like you said, they're, they're not in the hundreds, they're definitely in the thousands um, because they're, they're labor intensive. So bidding an asset at 45, 55, or 60% of UPB or BPO stair step doesn't work. Shanti, is there anything that you've seen from investors that they didn't budget in as well that we can learn the from number, as well? The number one thing that I see, and I see it on almost like an every other day basis, um, and it sometimes becomes frustrating, is the taxes. People are, you know, purchasing notes and they're excited and they're kind of told it's performing, but they have no clue what the tax situation is. And when it comes to our office, uh, unfortunately, we're the bearer of bad news that uh, has to explain to a lender, hey, you know, your borrower doesn't have enough escrow funds to pay this. Um, you know, we give the lenders the op option to advance those funds. The borrowers can't afford it. And I've watched way too many people let those taxes just skate by, become delinquent year after year. Um, and then, you know, they kind of get sick and tired of it. People have told, you know, my asset managers, like, well, I'm not in this industry for to be paying other people's taxes. Um, there's just different reasons. I feel like that's the number one problem that we hear. And then what ends up happening is they say they don't want to pay it. And then another year goes by and something's going up for tax sale. And then somehow that falls back on us. Um, when we asked you the year before, you know, it's in your best interest to stay on top of those taxes to make sure that they stay current and don't go to tax sale, uh, whether you're, you know, especially in a first lien position because they, uh, tax sales kind of do supersede your, for your senior. <laughs> yeah. I hear it all the time. And, um, you know, me wanting to be an investor like the rest of you guys up here, it's one thing that I always keep in the back of my mind to always look into. It's so one of the private questions I had was, what is the stair step and what I mean by that? Um, when I first got into space 2010, 2011, um, stair steps were very common. We bid it based on, it was that's so it was worth 50 grand, we bid 50%, 40,000, 40%, you know, and it was a model follow. It was over 100,000, we bid 55, and that was it. Um, actually lower than that, but I won't scare you guys. Uh, we're buying at 30s back then. Um, a lot of people are doing is taking UPB or BPO, depending on what's lower, and doing a 45 or 50% of that number, and that's my bid number. They're not including any expenses because they don't know the expenses. Um, where I've bid 75% of a, of a value or 75% of UPB because my calculator told me I'll be okay. Um, stairs tip often just as a general because they don't know any better, um, and that's what scares me. That a lot of people out there are bidding higher than I would, and they bid 55% of value, and they have no clue that there's a $7,000 tax lien, and those persons could be destroyed, as well as a JV investor if they have money behind them. They're going to walk into Franco and say, what do I do? They're going to turn to Shante and ask her what to do. And that's what we're trying to wake you guys up. If you are investing, my highly recommendation is, Hook up a bill, work a file with them, hook up a Franco, and just talk to them about things. Talk to Shante, talk to Karen, and just maybe even JV with them. And say, listen, I want to be an apprentice to you. I want to just look over file and help you and learn because there's so many things in this business that Bill, I, all of us can learn. Every month I'm learning something new in the space, which is scary. 
you don't know, you don't know, and jumping in a deal because it looked like a fun deal to get into and the returns are great, or you saw a person buy three, four loans, awesome, but you don't know that you just bid $10,000 above all of us because you didn't know the numbers on the deal. Um, and then within a year, you're out of this business, which is what we don't want to see. Um, a lot of the teachers out there aren't talking about the guts of this business that can destroy you. Legal, uh, filing situation, borrower problems, um, lengthened foreclosures, um, not having insurance on a property and the property going to hell. Um, all these things that you just don't know. Um, and, you know, what do you do? You really team up with people you, you trust and try working with them. Um, JVing on your first deal, to me, scares me. Karen, you've seen a lot of this where a brand new investor comes out and they haven't done five deals and they're JVing on stuff. What's your experience with those kind of people? And what, have they come to you and talked to you about those situations? I don't think I've had, I mean, first of all, like you said, they don't last very long. I mean, they don't, they can't. Um, I, a lot of them, I really don't know what's happened to a lot of them because they're no longer in the note business, you know? Um, and, and, and like I said on another, nobody ever tells you all the details. So when they come asking you questions, you don't necessarily know what they've already done. Um, but, uh, you know, like you were just saying with the stair step, uh, I mean, there's no reason you ought to be bidding on something if somebody's telling you to bid a stair step and you're just flat doing it. I mean, like I said, I, I look at every property individually. There's, there's no way possible. You can just say, I'll give you 55% for those, you know? Yeah. So, um, I just don't think they're going to be in it for long. What would you recommend to somebody that wants to be in the space? And is new, and they're being told just raise some capital, find a JV partner, and jump into uh, deal. I mean, any of them I ever talk to. I mean, I, I'm very clear on the. And Shante saying she runs into that every day with the taxes sounds crazy to me because that's my biggest one of. And I, just like I said in the beginning, you can't just call and see if the taxes are paid. You know, you got to call call that county up and ask ask a person who paid those taxes. And, you know, they're, they're usually very helpful when you call, you know, and you say, I'm looking at buying this property and you don't have to explain anything to them. They don't really care, you know, <laughs> that you're buying the note or, I mean, they don't, but, but they're usually, as long as you say, I'm looking at this property to buy and I need to know about the taxes. They're 95% of the time, they're very helpful and they'll go in and say, oh, well, it was paid by them or it, it was paid through another party and it, it's got a lien on it or. So it's a very simple fix to not. So I, I, it blows my mind that she says she runs into that every other day. That's that's well, horrible. A lot of coming into space, you know, there's hundreds of people a year to come into space, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of them we won't see next year. Well, even something like that, if they know enough to go to Madison Management, why do they not know enough to call on the taxes? You know, they expect that to be done with for them. Um, that's what I've noticed a lot. It's kind of like. I feel bad because a lot of people are getting told notes and like, well, I wasn't told that. Um, that kind of falls under your due diligence. Um, and not to like point fingers at anybody. I'm kind of in the space of all these investors that are attending right now because I don't have any notes yet. And I know what it's like to be on the servicing side. I've watched other investors and their pitfalls, but I don't know from a personal experience where 
what I need to do on that. Like there are just so much, so many things that I've learned just within these past, you know, six, seven months um, from people taking me under their wing, Dave being one of them and just kind of showing me some things that I understand, but just would have never even thought twice of just because I've never done it. And as I'm learning and then watching everybody else, I'm kind of like, why would you do that? It seems outrageous to me and Karen, I'm right there with you, but it, it's real. Um, and it, it's frightening. And I hate, I hate when people are like, oh, I can't be in the no industry anymore. This is not what I expected. Um, it's just because the knowledge isn't there yet. Yeah. Like completely. For, how long have you been in Madison, Shantae? Uh, this past February made five years. So in five years, you've learned everything which servicing has to do with it. You step into the investor side and you feel lost. I am completely lost. I, that's why I don't have a note yet. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm definitely cautious. And I feel like everybody should understand what you're getting. Your, it's money you're spending. You know, that, that's either your money or someone else's money. You know, don't throw it away. But there's definitely a lot that I've continued to learn thinking that I thought I knew everything and I don't. And like Dave said, every month you are learning something new. It's almost weekly for me that I'm walking to something new. And there's, I know our team uses Franco um, in some states as a preferred um, attorney. And there's stuff that he's letting my asset managers know and that they have, they've never seen, never walked into. And, you know, we all share that information in house. So, you know, people definitely need to keep their eyes open, ears open and put themselves out there to get some knowledge. You know, don't just assume because assumptions are always wrong. It's amazing, you know, take someone who's been in space for five years and they know a lot about one area of it and lost another. Um, Bill, I'm going to go with you. Uh, one of the questions that we received um, was brokering notes to start off, uh, getting a loan, going through like Distress Pro and finding a 1D, 2D deal from a bank and brokering that deal. What's your thoughts of people trying to broker deals to get in the space um, to build cash flow or building a, a point or two on the, on the sale of it? I mean, it's tough to do. I mean, it's tough to just broker a deal in the second business. Um, you know, a lot of us will buy multiple loans and, you know, you have to be active when you're investing. And, you know, sometimes if a deal's not turning, Maybe you sell one of your non-performers just because you need something to turn. Not that it's a bad deal. Um, you know, an active investor is always kind of moving. So, you know, there are definitely plenty of people that have bought loans and then went and sold them. You know, it's real common in the second space for, you know, a loan to be sold from one fund to another. And it, it circled around three or four times. And it doesn't mean it's a bad deal. It just got caught up in a, a pool of deals and it got sold on. Um, it definitely can be done, but you're better off just buying it and working it and trying to figure it out that way um, and learning. Um, you know, education's real. It happens all the time in this space. You know, I'm learning every day. It's the best thing about uh, the note space. Um, you know, that's how you're going to do it. You know, you're going you're gonna to learn some pitfalls and you're going to learn some good things, but you know, you can't just sit there and watch forever. I mean, eventually you got to dive in and play the game. I mean, you know, I actually just wrapped up my taxes yesterday. I could have used a couple write-offs, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing of the things that are being um, encouraged out there to do and get in the space and the fun and just hire your attorney, hire your servicer and rock and roll. Um, it, it, it's funny because the space is so small. 
And there's a reason for that. Um, and, and we love new people to talk to them about it and encourage them to get into the space. But you can tell the people in the space have been there for a while because we all know each other. We talk to each other. If you, if you meet somebody on the street and they say they're in the space, you, you see if any of us know them. Um, networking in the space is huge. I, I bring up in my every webinar, because the space is so small, just be smart with it. Um, there's a lot of tools. People are forthcoming with information. People talk about anything and share anything you want. Guess what I value. You know, um, one of the questions that came up was, um, what's our ROI's threshold in accepting a deal? Uh, typically look at it, 30% ROI, is that realistic? Um, you know, building is a little different space for, for seconds. Um, but I think, you know, Karen, what's your thoughts on, you know, it, it's hard to answer for me. Should you peg your thing at 30% return to make a deal conservative enough? Is that enough of an information to give an answer? Um, well, I think it goes back to, I start with that number. That's the, the return on ROI is even, even if I calculate in what the stair step is, I look at it versus the ROI. And if it's less than 30%, I don't even look at them. But to me, you still have to put it in your other spreadsheet with the best and worst scenario and see if that's the best or the worst scenario. <laughs> so, yes. You know, if like if 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 you're going to be able to evict them because it's a CFD is totally different than if you're going to have to foreclose because it's a, you know, other or if you're expecting them to stay, you know, if you're expecting them to stay and that's going to be the 30% ROI, but you end up having to foreclose that totally changes the numbers. So you really need to put, be able to know whether that's your best case scenario or worst. And to go back to what you said before, what Frank was up, you need to know your expenses to make that 30%. If you have no expenses there besides buying the note, taxes, and the return, that, that's 30%. You miss a whole lot of expenses that'll eat up that 30% like that. And we're seeing a lot of people make those bids saying, I bid at 30% of my, I projected 30%, but you didn't factor in yeah. the cost of the taxes for this year ongoing. Maybe the taxes are current by the borrower, but they may not pay while they're in foreclosure in Ohio for a year. You didn't add that in there. You didn't add the insurance cost because the borrowers have insurance. You didn't add in there, you know, all kinds of things like that um, that we mentioned before. The factor of the redemption period. Oh, it's three months. Well, are you factoring 30% return in, 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 you know, in 90 days in Michigan and didn't factor in another six months of, of redemption period, insurance period, servicing period? So ROI to me is very dangerous to project without knowing what expenses go into that. Uh, Joe Kennedy, thank you for that question. Um, it is realistic. Have I gotten it? Absolutely. Um, I find a lot of people aren't bidding. Um, Franco, have you ever a situation where a, a lender came to you with a file and, and, and like blew their mind with the, the cost of the legal side of this? Yeah, you know, it's it's happened a lot. You know, the, the, again, I don't see a lot of them, but some of them think it's, it's, you know, the costs are in the hundreds when they should be in the thousands. Um, and, and, you know, another thing that you have to worry about are uh, the different states. You really have to know where you're investing. So you talk about Michigan redemption rates, Ohio. One of the big things in Ohio is 
you bought a land contract. So you're thinking, okay, great. Land contract forfeiture fees and costs are, are, are manageable. Well, that land contract is now five years old. You're forced to foreclose. Uh-oh, mm-hmm. now the cost blew up. So it's not knowing some of those things. And I think that's where it helps you know, to have an attorney on your side to, to go through some of those things. And that's what we pick out on that pre-purchase review. Hey, you know, you got a over five-year-old land contract here, budget in a foreclosure. And, and that does help. But yeah, you, you do see a lot of investors who, who are just kind of blown away with the, with the costs and um, some of them do go away. Some of them are, you know, they, they'll take it in. A lot of our assets, I'm sure Bill gets into it. You, you sometimes your cost of your asset will kill a deal. Amazingly kill a deal. Um, I stay away from a lot of the $30,000 properties because of, you know, as Frank was saying, foreclosure cost isn't based on the percentage of the value of the deal. Um, Bill, what, you know, what are some of the things that will kill a 30% ROI that people who just bid 30% and say, Hey, I bid that number. It should work out. Like I said, it's, you know, at least in the second space, it's such a numbers game and there's so many things that happen. It's about building the portfolio. It's about building those returns. Um, not just buying a deal to get that return. You know, I'll just use an example. You know, we foreclosed on a house in Nevada last year. Um, you know, quick numbers. We were like 13K in the deal and we got a 55K payoff. Uh, third party bid on the wrong property at the sale. <laughs> Right. So, you know, home run deal, slam dunk. Well, that third party wanted their money back. So they filed a complaint on us. And, you know, I got pulled in, my trustee got pulled in and a lot of people got pulled in and this thing went pretty deep and it ate up all the profit. Wow. So it's like, they're the things that you just, we did nothing wrong, but you have to deal with it. And, you know, it just came in and, you know, if you're not prepared or you're not, ready for something like that i mean it could crush you i mean it was it wasn't pretty and it's not fun we're still not out of it right now but um we did settle it it didn't go to trial um but you know if somebody wants to sue you they can sue you i mean it doesn't matter if you do anything right or wrong that's the nature of this space so it's it's so tough to just say you know i want a 30 or 40 or 20 percent return on something in the non-performing second space you know, it's, it's a numbers game. Um, the more you play, the more successful you'll be. And it's about building that portfolio. But, you know, crazy stuff like that happens. You get pulled into litigation, you just can't control it. And I also want to make sure people know when they buy non-performer, I've seen this a few times recently, where a person bought non-performer and it performed. And they now are in a situation where they bought it without looking at the yield on it. Um, if they reinstate the loan, and you're getting a 5% return, you're stuck. That you have to make sure in your RI calculator that if it performs, you'll be okay with the performing thing. Because just because it defaulted doesn't mean that you get to foreclose on it. They can reinstate, get the loan back performing, and that return may not be good. It may it's only defaulted six months. You bought it projecting that you could foreclose, take the power back and get a killing, and they paid three, four thousand dollars reinstate it and it's a two percent loan coupon. Um, those are the kind of things that people aren't putting their calculator and not factoring in. Um, and there's nothing you can do about that. So please feel free to ask any more questions because this is a topic that I think people are attracted to because 
Bills calculator is different from mine. If I look at Bills, I'd be lost. If I look at Karen's, I'd be lost. If they looked at mine, they'd be lost. You build it over years and experiences. I just changed mine last week because I added something to it. Um, I was trying to figure out reinstatement monies to make sure yields work out. Um, things like that. Just If it's an equity deal versus a non-equity deal in the first space, a lot of lenders don't want you to want you to bid a percentage of the actual, you know, unpaid balance where if it goes to auction and sells at auction, you only get back the legal balance on it. You don't get to sell the whole property. A lot of people are bidding equity deals poorly. Um, uh, one of the questions, uh, other speakers uh, to target or, ROI aim for Karen says 30%. Um, what, I guess the question is, what are other people target the ROI for? Bill, do you have a target number for your ROI calculator of what you're targeting to buy it at? I mean, I base all my stuff off per purchase price of the uh, UPB when I buy something. You know, I'm just you like everybody. I'm now, or uh, like a 28, 25, 30. It all there's the factors in the second space are equity and the currency of the first and the state. So those are the three factors. Um, you know, right now you can buy stuff in the second space at 20 to 60, 60% 60 of UPB. You know, when we first started doing this back in 08, 09, 2010, when it started happening, yep. I mean, you could buy stuff from 10 to 15 cents on the, on the <laughs> UPB. You know, prices have definitely went up. You know, I'm all, I'm an investor. I mean, I want the biggest return and I want the most bang for my buck. So, you know, in the second space, it really comes down to when you force the hand and that homeowner comes out, you know, what are your systems and processes? You know, I go through a whole financial process with these homeowners. I give them ideas. Um, you know, a homeowner might not have a lot, but maybe they got a friend or family member that can come up with a lot of money. Um, it's, it's, it's what you can do as, you know, how creative can you be? Can you give them ideas? And I just can't express enough. It's about building that ROI on a few deals. Um, you know, I, I, I go through this a lot with, uh, very successful people in real estate that are very deal specific on what's the ROI for this deal. You should know all your ROIs for this deal. And, you know, it's about my portfolio and what makes sense at the time. You know, maybe I take a discounted payoff that isn't the best ROI, but I need a pop to fuel the legal for a couple other deals that are looking real good. So it's really based off my portfolio. Um, just like everybody, I want a nice solid return. Um, when I'm buying reperformers in the second space, you know, right now you're buying them between 10 and 15% ROI. Um, we, you know, five, six years ago, you were buying them between 20 and 25% ROI. Absolutely. You know, some of my best assets pay me in the 30 and 40 ROI range. I mean, I just shared with you that one deal I got done in Ohio. Yeah. You know, I was $800 in that deal. I got all my money out already, and they owe me 178 payments. <laughs> of two, it's, you know, they only owe me 203.11, but all my money's out of that deal. And... You know, they yeah. owe me 178 payments. And that's what's weird. Like, I have to get paid. There's so many things that could happen between me getting all those payments. Um, maybe they refinance. And it's, you know, time value of money in this space. And, you know, I've always said this about real estate. You know, there's a lot of people that are in real estate, but it doesn't mean they're an investor. 
you know, it's about snowballing the money and, and managing it and, and working the deal and moving forward. You know, can you save money? You know, not everybody is an investor. You know, there's a lot of people in the real estate business. Are you a true investor? And one of the questions that came up here is, you know, the percentage, you know, my target mile go from 25 to 30 um, based on the value of the property, but a whole lot of parameters go into there. Um, someone mentioned a 24 IRR. Um, a lot of my stuff based on time value of money uh, and a calculator of is this thing not yield, meaning payment times 12 divided by purchase price. Uh, that means absolutely nothing to me. Time yeah, I mean, value is the key. Okay. Let me say this. I've, I've closed over 300 deals in the second space, and this is the most I've ever talked about ROIs on this call, ever. <laughs> like everybody's so stuck on them. It's not about you. Yeah. It's about the homeowner or the property and getting a deal done. Everybody's so worried about themselves and their ROI. Like, I've never talked this much about ROI, and this is what I do for a living. I mean, it's changed my life. I make lots of money on it, but everybody's so fixated on that ROI. It, 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 it's very important. Don't get me wrong. And if I was in the first space or running a big hedge fund, it would probably be different. I'm confident enough in my space and my business that I know it's going to produce. And sometimes it's a really great return. Sometimes it's okay. And when the deal comes to the table and it's fully laid out, that's when I determine hey, this is a great one for me to keep. This may be a good one for me to sell a partial off of. Maybe I sell this one. You know, I've got stuff in my portfolio everywhere from a 0% interest rate up to like an 8% interest rate. And it all depended on the UPB, what the homeowner can afford, and what made sense for that deal. Yeah. Well, and but like I said, I don't, I don't start based. I mean, that's just where I start. I don't say, Oh, it's a 30% ROI. I'm going to buy it. I say, you know, like I said a minute ago, I, then you look at that and say, is that the best or worst case scenario? You know, is if, if somebody's going to stay in the house and they're going to pay and that's the worst case scenario, then you're good. But if, if you have to go with foreclosure and then that's the, you know what I'm saying? It yeah. just depends on whether that's the best or worst case, but that, that's just, there's a lot of numbers to look at. Like you said, it's a numbers game. So you can't just say, I'm going to buy one on a stair step or I'm going to buy one because it shows it has a 30% ROI. So there's a lot of more factors into it. And you also can't buy based on the fact that Ohio is a eight, 12 month foreclosure time frame and took you three years to foreclose. You know, there's a ROI gets factored in a lot of things in the space. Um, and when you're dealing with someone else's money, OPM, it becomes disgustingly more difficult. Because how do you explain to an investor after 24 months that you're trying to work a file that you expected to eat at 12 because you didn't know anything else? And you promised him a 30% ROI based on a calculator that had missing factors. Maybe not your own fault, but just to borrow through you into. Um, so, you know, we've, we've hit a lot of stuff with that. Um, in the second space, you're all about the borrower and getting to the borrower. In the first space, it's all about the property. Um, looking at what the house, house near you sell for, days on markets. Um, do people want to move there? Is it a crime area? Um, is it a rental area, a sell area? What market are you buying in as well? I um, mean, do you have a team of people? 
you take that property back and you have to rehab it, you have nothing in there, you're in more situation. Um, so uh, I'm gonna just open up, if anyone has any additional questions, uh, we've been on for about an hour and a half now, I wanna just start wrapping it up. Um, I know we talked IRR briefly, and we won't get into too much about IRR. Um, I look more at time value of money. I look at returns based on all my expenses. Um, and to be dead point eyeing your return is very rare. I just, just so many things that come factor in. Um, so um, I'll, I'll be, if there's any additional question, I'll let you answer it. Uh, I'll leave it with asking everyone here, if there's something you can tell a brand new investor out there briefly, what to do in the next 30 days, what would you tell them to do? So um, Franco, what would you suggest a new investor come out and do to learn uh, from a legal point of view, maybe understand what a deed of trust is. What should an investor do to be a better investor, a more successful yeah. investor? Yeah, you know, start to learn the term of art, you know, uh, know, know what a, a note is, know what a mortgage is, know what a deed is, know what assignment is, know what chain of assignment is. Um, you know, we, we can help out if people want to call us and, and get down that process, but um, really just start to learn the term of arts. That's, uh, that, that's going to be key because if, if you can't get past that or, you know, you are asking those questions, especially taxes, if you got questions on taxes, you know, um, that, I guess that's a bigger issue, but, you know, definitely the term of art, get, get those under your belt and, and then start down the process of due diligence. Karen? Oh, that's kind of a hard question. I mean, um, you know, like he said, uh, the first place to go is someone like Franco or, I mean, I don't know where everybody's learning, you know, yeah. um, and it's hard to know where they started, um, you know, they're learning stuff. Talk to, talk, like you said, talk to other investors. We, we, we do like to be very helpful. Um, and that kind of goes to something I was thinking about a minute ago that you and I were talking about the other minute, the other day, Dave, about uh, all the different things that can happen with notes when you come up and you call one of your friends who does a ton of notes and go, you're never going to believe this. You, know? <laughs> you said you called um, somebody and they were like, they've never had to deal with this and you've dealt with it, but it's crazy the stuff that can happen. So uh, the biggest thing I would think is, to get out and talk to the note investors first and hear the horror stories, not just go to all the classes where they're teaching you how to do it. Go and talk go to talk. multiple investors too. I think you're right. Don't just talk to one because that's the person you relationship. Find the investors that have been doing it for a while who are doing it and talk to every one of them and just pick their brain because the stories are different. Their experience is different. Um, their knowledge is different. Uh, the way they present themselves different and how they market themselves different. I don't ever try and market myself as a guru or anything like that. I'm just looking to share your network and protect as many people as I can because you will get messed up in a space. Bill, do you have anything in the next 30 days someone can do that can really be more successful in the space? You know, just what everybody's saying, you know, it's about education. It's about network. And uh, it's pretty simple. I mean, find, people that are actually making money in this business or in any business and see what they're doing and figure out how you can add value to people. There's too many people that will come into um, this space or any part of real estate and they want, they want, they want, but you know, what type of value you bring in? Um, 
you know, that could be a story for another day, but, you know, it really is about getting out to uh, real estate events, um, you know, finding out where some of these note conventions are throughout the country. Um, you know, there's some pretty good Facebook groups out there. Dave, you run yours. Yep. You know, get on, ask questions. Um, there's a few good books out there right now. Um, find the people that are actually doing it. Bigger Pockets is really good. Um, you know, there's a lot of good stuff out there. You got to, you got to take action and you got to go find it. Yeah. Shante, uh, before you go into your, I know you have a lot to share with new investors. I want to remind everyone, please feel free to jump on the, the Facebook groups. Um, if it's not mine, any of them out there, we're all kind of browsing around there. Um, stay tuned for additional uh, videos. We'll be doing more IRA stuff next month. Um, we did put a list of assets we are selling. Um, I did post before. If you didn't get it or didn't see it, um, there are strike prices in there. So there are, you know, you know, dollar amounts where you could buy for today. Um, you can sue me over an email. Um, there's for sale. There's details on there. Uh, you have to sign NDA to get them. Um, and we'll get right over to you. So, Shante, in the next 30 days, you said you learn a lot in the last six, seven months. What would you say someone does in the next 30 days to make them more successful? I agree with um, Franco, Karen, and Bill. It's helped me tremendously learn um, and gain knowledge by almost like partnering up with somebody. Um, and like you said, Dave, not just one. Um, learn from different people. I've built some pretty great relationships, pretty great rapports with different investors. I just happened to meet at conferences. Um, Dave, I think that's how you and I kind of actually clicked. Um, what was last year? So I would, and Bill, like you said, don't, you have to bring something else to the table. You can't always just want, want, want. You have to show that, okay, well, I want to learn this and I want to understand this and I need help here. But in return, I can do this, this and this for you. Um, I feel like those types of relationships work a little bit better. Um, but on, like everyone else said, it's networking that's going to get you the knowledge that you need. People have been in this industry for years. You know, I've been on the servicing side for five years, but don't know much about being an investor and actually having to purchase a note and using ROI calculators. But I can tell you all about collateral files and <laughs> foreclosure processes and things like that. So definitely just kind of get out there, reach out to whoever, you know, build that connection, build that relationship, keep in touch with people, um, make yourself known. I've learned that um, I've done a lot more of that within the past year as a whole than I have in the past five years of being in this industry for any reason. And I feel like I'm coming out on top by learning more and more and having people um, that I can access. Um, any questions, whether I think they are the dumbest questions and almost embarrassed to ask. Um, <laughs> makes fun of you everybody's you know that i've came across is pretty nice and you know willing to help you and they understand because at one point you guys all started there too yeah um if you guys are able to go in the chat box uh just put your information for everyone to get it out to you um best contact information if that's an email uh bill i'll get you uh i know you have uh the situation in your camera but um if there's we can definitely uh add stuff to people, give them your information, best email address, uh, website, or whatever you need to give to people so that they all have it. And they'll put it in the chat box for anyone that's in there. Um, I hope we've 
answered enough questions. I know a lot of people want to know more about the ROI calculator and what expenses involved. And it's difficult to give that information and answer. Um, I hope we explain that well tonight. If there's more questions, uh, any of us are willing to answer them. Um, and, and, and just reach out to all of us or any of us. Um, I'll get Bill. I'll get your email address here. Um, Franco, if you just put your contact information here, there's a chat box in the bottom. Just pop it open, and then uh, it's in there. Okay, you. Okay, um, and go from there. Thank you very much, for all you guys' time. Um, I'm sure we helped out people. Um, I'm sure there's more questions. Um, get ready to buy some loans, people, and uh, pick our brains for any kind of question you have. So, thank you again, guys. Enjoy. I appreciate your time, and we'll talk soon, everyone. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Karen. Shante, Franco, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks.